the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say all right, and welcome to the second half of our 1972 season. It's Charlie and Tim back here to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, now, as we continue to look at this season, we're going to chat about a few things, specifically the greening incident, which happened in 1972, and we're going to learn why VFL, the VFL banned streamers and floggers at games. Ah, okay. So, just a quick review, Charlie. We've we've done the first uh, from 12 to 6. Tell us what those yes. teams are, and then we'll get into the uh, the rest of the ladder. We certainly have. So, we started with the Wooden Spooners, North Melbourne, with a single win. South Melbourne at 11 with two wins. Geelong, 10th with seven wins. Fitzroy, 9th with nine. Melbourne, 8th with 10. Footscray, uh, 7th with 11. And Hawthorne coming in 6th with 13 wins. Yes, which brings us up to in fifth place for the very first time in finals. In finals, yes. So, sorry, this team has played in finals many times. Yes. But we've got a top five now. A top five, yes. So, the first time fifth has squeaked into finals. Yes. And, of course, it had to be Essendon. Why, of course? Well, because, you know, just the luck's with them, I guess. I don't know. We'll take it. (laughs) If it was... um, if it was someone else, say, if St Kilda finished, you know, fifth, they would have missed out somehow, Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so, Essendon with 14 wins, 8 losses, and a percentage of 108.3%. As we mentioned, I know there was a bit of a argy-bargy there because their percentage was lower than Hawthorne's. Mm. Uh, captained and coached by Des Tudner. Yes, I'll talk to that this in year. a second. Yes. Um, actually, I'll talk about it now. Yeah, please do. So in 1971, um, Alan Hurd and David Shaw, president of Essendon, uh, they'd been in attendance for the state game between WA and Victoria, which was in Perth. Uh, but Des Tudnam was, I think, the captain at that stage. And he gave a stirring address to the players. And they're like, oh, he's, he's all right. Yeah. Um, Alan approached Des after the game and said, Desi, would you ever be interested in coaching? And he said, oh, if you buy me a private jet, I will. He laughed and then said, when we get back to Melbourne, can we talk? Which they agreed to do. And it went from there. Uh, Des Tudnam is the first outside coach, so non than coach, since Jack Baggett in 1939. Wow. You remember that's when uh, Jack Baggett and Dick Reynolds shared it for... Oh, that's right, yes. The season. Um, in his first address to the Essendon players, Tudnam was determined to make it memorable. He says he walked into the rooms and said to the players, either you stay or you go, I don't care who you are, but you're doing it on my terms. If, if you want to stay, you can. If you want to go, then there's the door. You've got an open clearance. Fortunately, nobody walked out. It seems like that attitude and that way of doing things it works yeah right um so he went in with a mind to try to open up their fitness levels um and change the game plan and toughen them up a bit as well yep so round one Tudnam inspired the bombers with a new spirited determination blethen kicked seven in his new role so um Tudnam moved him from the wing to full forward and inspired inspired so a good tactical move there and so in round one it was the Bombers having a good win over the Doggies by 61 points. They then beat South in a very underwhelming game by 47. 
And then they took the scalp of the Tigers at the MCG, the forward line playing brilliantly, with Bleffen, Noonan and Close all firing for the first time in a long time because they had had some injuries in the previous year, so those, yep. those three hadn't really played together. Um, so they kind of knocked off the Tigers in round three and everyone started to take a bit more notice. That, you know, Bombers might be... Yeah, it's going, it's going right. somewhere, yeah. Uh, next week against Geelong, it was a tough first quarter. Tudnam actually left the huddle and had to go to the hospital. He copped the hit to the face. He was actually depressed cheekbone. So Bob Syme had to take over coaching. Uh, and in this game, Ken Fletcher's long spiral kicks and Fields drop punts, giving Jeff Bleffham at full forward a stream of opportunities Helped him kick eight goals as the Bombers won by 43. Good to see Ken Fletcher kicking spirals just like his son as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Bombers are a force to be reckoned with because they were top of the ladder. But just when they're getting ahead of steam, they get knocked off by the Demons and the Blues. Yeah. Uh, round seven, through fierce tackling, the Bombers stunned the Saints. On every line, they were winning. They had winning players. And the Saints' strength was nullified. Um, there was such pressure put on St. Kilda's Ruckman that they spilled marks. And once the ball hit the deck... Uh, they were outbalanced and fumbled. Dons won by 41. Round eight, regulation win over the Kangaroos. Then the Dons reeled in the reigning Premier's Hawthorne at Windy Hill, chasing down a three-quarter time deficit of 15 points to win by two, making the Hawks look second-rate and unfit. Ooh, Which is, okay. if you know about Kennedy's commandos, that's, yeah. you know, that's good signs. Yeah. Round 10, they put on an excellent exhibition of first-class football against the Lions. The Dons looked like kicking away in the third when Blethen kicked three of his four goals, but the Lions stuck with them. Um, ultimately, the Bombers won by two points and the Bombers were back on top. Then Tuddy got a surprise reception at Victoria Park in his return to the Magpie Faithful. I imagine um, it was very warm. Yes, it was quite the opposite. <laughs> and we'll talk more about this later. It's quite an interesting game. Uh, and then the Dogs got managed to defeat them at Windy Hill as well. They looked anything but a final side in their lucky three-point escape against the Swans, but their form looked shaky as the Cats and then Tigers and Blues all beat them as well and kind of looked like finals might be slipping away at this stage of the season. But they turned it around against the Demons, Charlie. Well, of course they did. A remarkable second quarter burst, which will be remembered as the club's finest in 1972. Kicking to the grandstand end of the MCG in the second term, the Bombers produced a devastating 10-goal barrage to Melbourne's three. Oh, killer. For Bombers fans, it was like a 25-minute dream as every player was scoring within scoring distance gold in that glorious quarter. <laughs> the rest of the game was fairly even, but the damage was done. Bleffen with five and a 45-point win. Against the Saints, who were battling for top sp- who they were battling with for a spot in the finals. Ah, yes. Yep, the Bombers yep. showed greater desire for victory and its defence stood firm to hold the Saints out. They won by seven points on the Saints' home turf in Moravin as well. Now, round 19, this is the ages opening paragraph for their match against North Melbourne. For one glorious quarter on Saturday, Essendon showed it had every right to participate in the 1972 final series. It was champagne and caviar football as the Dons swept aside the worthless opposition of North Melbourne in the second quarter to quick to kick near-league record 13 goals four for the quarter, while the Kangaroos managed a solitary point. Oh. Schultz and Bletham kicked five goals each in this game. But yeah, I mean, to say that's like... The, the game before against Melbourne was the best quarter of the season. They go and do this a week later. Yeah. Um, but they lost a week later. In Sorry. They lost to the other team in the three-way race for those two spots. The Hawks by 19 points. Kind okay, of put yeah. things in jeopardy. Round 21 against Fitzroy at Junction Oval. Bespeckled Essendon full forward Jeff Bleffen brought up a century of goals. So he... His shift to full forward had really come off. Massive change, yeah. He kicked four goals. Um, the Lions led by 29 points at half time, but had squandered a much bigger lead because of inaccuracy, registering 10-14 to the Bombers' 7-3. After the break, Essendon got on top, 
kicking eight goals to four in the third quarter and another three in the last, while keeping Fitzroy goalless to win 18-11 to 14-20. So that's a... So 119-104, so a 15-point win. Blethen's 100-goal mile, milestone was marked by an invasion of the ground as of course was the custom of the 70s. Yeah. A mounted policeman went to his aid, and as the crowd ran it to him from all directions, Blethen was crushed against the policeman's horse. He turned around into the horse, and it slobbered all over his face and into his glasses, <laughs> which was later revealed in an interview. Um, first bomber to kick a, a century since Coleman as well. Yeah, well. And I believe only one of three. I think Lloyd's the only other one. Still needing a win yeah. to secure final spot. The Bombers welcomed the Pies to Windy Hill, and in a close game, they were able to win by five points to secure finals again. So a really good result for Desi Tundam coming to the Bombers. And, Absolutely. You know, showing maybe Collingwood should have given him the, the coaching job when they sacked Bob Rose. Maybe yeah. Maybe he deserved it, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so n- no surprises that... Uh, Jeff Leffen. That Jeff Leffen won the uh, league, uh, the goal-kicking with 107 uh, that includes finals, of course. Uh, and the Crichton Medal in 1972 went to Neville Fields. Yeah, nice. Yes. Which creeps us up the ladder even further into our top four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and fourth on the ladder is St Kilda with, fourteen again, 14 uh, wins, eight losses and a percentage of 115.6%. So not a lot between those two teams there. Uh Captained by Ross Smith and coached by Alan Jeans, of course. Yep. Um, one of their big debutants is a huge name in football. Not so much for playing, but for coaching Mick Malthouse. Yes. Made his debut. Just tell us a little bit about him. But right. We don't need to say no, much, do we? We know. But very, as a player, very tough, resolute defender uh, who might have been said to make the most of his abilities in a 174-game career with two clubs. So obviously, as a coach, he achieved great, much greater notoriety uh, including his two premierships at West Coast in 92 and 94, and then Collingwood in 2010. Yeah, yep. And then... We don't need to mention much about Carlton. No, I don't... Yeah, we'll get to that eventually, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Saints had a good start to the season with a 58-point win over the Ruse. John Stevens kicking five, but then they lost to the Lions in a shock loss at Junction Oval by eight. Um, they had a hard-fought win over the Dogs in which they dominated the second half. Then against Collingwood at Waverley, they trailed at every break but kicked six goals to two in the last quarter to win by 20, led by Barry Breen and John Stevens with five goals each. Carl Ditterich dominated the old Lakeside Oval match as the Saints led from pillar to post, winning by 23. Then in round six, they stunned the football world with a huge win over the Tigers. Ditterich was again the star with 17 disposals, eight marks, eight hitouts, and kicked five goals one. But it was a team effort as they scored a huge 24 21, 165 to win by 89 points. Oh, wow. Against, against Richmond, against Tommy Hayfield's Richmond. Yeah, that's huge. But just as their spirits were high, they were smashed themselves by the Bombers and the Blues. They bounced back for easy wins over Melbourne and Geelong. Round 11 was a grand final rematch against Hawthorne, and reading from Russell Holmesby is the point of it all the game was a stand em up, knock em down affair. In this game, Stuart Trott had told teammates he wanted to get even with Lee Matthews after a hit from the grand final the previous year. Um, so what a throw in, Trott, Trott lined up lethal and with everything he could muster, ran into him and like full on hip and shoulder right in the guts. Um, but blood gushing from Lee's mouth, he stood up, he calmly turned to Stuart Trott and he said, tastes beautiful. Oh God, <laughs> that is hard. Um, but the beautiful thing for the Saints fans was they won by 54 points. Nice. Mm. After easy wins in round 12 and 13 over the North and the Lions, we get to round 14, which was an infamous day at Moorabbin 
as Collingwood visited. And we'll go over this properly when we get to Collingwood, um, who won this game by 20 points. Um, so we're talking about the Greening affair here. Where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Knocked out. We'll go into it in a bit more detail. But um, this didn't lead well because from this game to the next week, we then had that game against the Doggies where um, Cowboy Neal damaged Stephen Boyle's eye, which we talked about last That's episode. That's right, yes. So a bit of undisciplined thuggery here from the Saints, which has got them in the news for the wrong reasons. Um, and so when you consider they played finals, when all this kind of news is hanging He's over going them, they've, around. Done, yeah, they've yeah. done a pretty good job. Uh, Ross Smith led the Saints out of a negative slump they were in against South Melbourne. But with finals looking good, they suddenly dropped games to the Tigers and the Bombers and the Blues and found themselves in a fight for the spot for a spot in the finals. Round 20, the Demons stayed with the injury hit Saints for much of the match and the game played out as expected for the first three quarters. Faced with a 26-point deficit at three-quarter time, the Demons took 15 minutes to get into gear and really uh, charged back into this game but ultimately fell one point short as the Saints held on. Round 21, they took on the Cats at Waverley in a game that they controlled from start to finish and probably best remembered for the sprinklers coming on during the third quarter. Really? Waverley, yeah. Mistimed uh, it. Saints by 15. The final round, the Saints needed to beat the Hawks to play finals. Injured star Barry Lawrence returned and proved to be the match winner. Even though he wasn't really match fit, he still managed to kick six crucial goals and earn themselves another place in the finals. Beautiful. They're a, they're a hardened team, the Saints. Yeah, it's very strong. Very strong. So... Uh, the uh, Trevor Barker Award in 1972 went to Stuart Trott, even after smashing Lethal. Yep. And the lead goal kicker down at St Kilda was John Stevens with 53. Uh, so in third spot, another team we've, we've heard mentioned quite a few times as we've been talking is Collingwood with 14 wins, one draw and seven losses and a percentage of 133.8%. Coached by Neil Mann and captained by Wayne Richardson. Yeah, so some debutants include Rod Oborn, John Walker, Johnny Walker, yeah, uh, Ian McCorist, and Wes McGall. Um, but Neil Mann had been coaching the reserves for 15 years, so he was kind of a ready made replacement yep. to come in there. Um, let's not forget they lost Des Tudnam to Essendon as well. And apparently there was some consideration to approach Ron Barassi as coach, oh. but no outsider had ever coached the club, so it was not forthcoming. There's only ever been Collingwood people who coach Collingwood. Really? Yes. Also, at um, at board level, the Galbalis challenged again and took it to a proper vote. It wasn't as dirty as yeah. the, the one 10 years earlier. Yeah. Um, ultimately, Sharon, Tom Sharon won again by a small margin. Gosh, so they've just been, for the last decade, they would have been just sitting They're still there nibbling away, right? Even yeah. now. Yeah. The Galbalis are a big part of Collingwood. Yes. Um, so in his coaching debut, Neil Mann's Magpies fell just short. After charging from 44 points down at three-quarter time, they ultimately lost by four points to the Tigers. And their second match was a last-minute draw against the Blues at Cardinia Park. Finally, in round three, Neil Mann secured his first win against the Demons at Victoria Park. Peter McKenna helping the Pies kick away in the last quarter. He added eight, and the Pies won by 65. So he's had a loss, a draw, and a win in his first three matches. Oh. Best of everything. Uh, the Saints beat them at Waverley by 20 the next round. The following week against North, they had a point to prove, and an 11-goal third quarter saw them win by 78 points. Peter McKenna was ordered to bed early the night before by Neil Mann, uh, and this must have been why he was so good, because he kicked 11 goals straight in this match. <laughs> a third loss for the season to Hawthorne sort of saw them struggling outside of the five. It feels weird saying the five. Yeah, yeah. They were running hot against the Lions, winning by 25, but their old coach Bob Rose visited with the Bulldogs and picked them apart. 
Things weren't going great against Geelong in round nine after they kicked three goals in the first quarter and seemed to be struggling. But from that point on, they bombarded the goals, kicking nine, nine and eight across the next three quarters to amass a score of 185 points. To win by 75, Peter McKenna with 12 goals too. John Greening in excellent form uh, with 46 possessions and six goals three. Some huge scores this year and some big bags Some big, qu- well. big quarters. Yeah, big quarters. Uh, Greening then lit up the Lakeside Oval the next week with 45 possessions and four goals against the Swans as the Pies looked to increase their percentage, this time with a 69-point win. Uh, now it's Bombers' turn with uh, Des Tudnam to revisit Victoria Park and the Pies weren't going to go as easy as they had on Bob Rose. Um, the official crowd figure was 42,200. Many more committed fans were perched high up in trees while others crashed through the iron gates with crowbars near the players' entrance. I was say, by committed, do you mean like... Incarcerated? <laughs> no. Committed fans, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they crammed into One-Eyed Hill at the Yarra Falls end. Passions were inflamed before the bounce when an Essendon cheer squad member ran through the Collingwood banner. Yeah. Wow. He was chased by an angry mob of Magpie fans before they set to destroying the Bombers banner in re- retribution. <laughs> it was a close first half and the game went up another notch in the second. However, play stopped for several minutes when the Bombers' floggers and streamers were set on fire. Oh, okay. The crowd swarmed onto the ground to get away from the flames, which spread at least 70 metres along the fence with no. all, all those big banners oh, and, yeah. and, and wavers. Now, hang on. just I know we've talked about this, but remind me, the floggers... The, are big, the, stream, the big like streamer things. Oh, like, that's what a flogger is. Yeah, they're like pom-poms on a, yeah, gi- on a giant pom-poms on a big stick. Yeah, okay. That you wave up and down. All right, I'm glad we, could, I'm glad we got <laughs> yeah. that because I was I was picturing like, you know, there's like big weird clappy hands yeah. or those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they were, yeah, 70 metres along the fence. The police and firefighters had to put them out while the game was stopped. Uh, when the game resumed, it was a robust clash and at halftime, the Pies trailed by 16 points. Mm. But they kicked 10 goals in the third quarter and overall 18 goals to six after halftime and had the crowd rocking McKenna with 13 goals too. Oh, what a hero. Now, as a result of this uh, altercation with the cheer squads, the VFL, in all their wisdom, banned fans taking floggers, flags on sticks and throwing streamers at games. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. It also got them thinking about moving bigger games like this to the MCG, ah, possibly. Ah, yes. Yeah. Allow more people in. Make more money. You know, health and safety. But yeah. and, the, and the movement away from suburban grounds yeah. begins. Yes. Also because of this, um, some of the cheer squads around the league uh, boycotted games as well or refused to go on cheer. They were incensed. They couldn't take all this stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got home by five points over the Tigers, but fell to the Blues, and that gets us then to round 14. Collingwood taking on St Kilda at Moorabbin. Mm. In what was an ugly day for Australian rules football. The game had been going for only three minutes when Pies half-forward superstar John Greening was felled by St Kilda backman Jim O'Day, 70 metres behind play. He wasn't moving and was stretched from the ground. There were fears for his life and he was in, in a coma until the next day and even the doctors feared for his life. He eventually did wake up, um, but uh, he missed a lot of football. He eventually made a comeback but was never the same. Mm. Um, the Magpies won this game by five goals, but there's a bit more to play out here. Charlie, you got a bit more on this as well? Yes. So this comes from... Russell Holmesby's... From Russell Holmesby's book. So yeah. uh, we've got... Yeah, the Greening incident was, of course, front page material for all Monday morning newspapers the day after. Uh, so he was unconscious, as you said, for 24 hours. And uh, while rumours began to circulate about the nature of the incident and the extent of the injuries, that Collingwood were rumoured to be considering legal action and hinted that he came close to death. 
Late on Monday, Collingwood actually called for a police probe into the incident and asked for witnesses to come forward. The next night, then, it was announced that the VFL's special investigator would look into it. Of course, they'd have to, they'd have to do something. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, if it's going to get taken to the police, they'd yeah. rather do it in-house, I'm sure. I don't know what happened there. Um, obviously, this was after, yeah, as we mentioned, Cowboy Neil, the Cowboy Neal incident last year, right? No, no same, same, same year, happened the week after. after. Happened the week after Cowboy Neal, yes. No, no. The Green incident happened in round 14 and then round oh, sorry. 15. Yes. The Cowboy Neal thing happened. So we had a couple of things happening there. Also, Greening then suing that week after um, Jim O'Day and the six members of the St Kilda Board of Management. Yeah. Uh, so later that day, the VFL announced that they would lay charges against O'Day and due to pending action in the Supreme Court, Tribunal Chairman John uh, Winnicky announced that the hearing would be closed to the media. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Collingwood's Lee Adamson, St Kilda's Mick Lanyon and a St Kilda trainer were called as witnesses together with a ragtag assortment of eight spectators who managed to add to the Roman holiday atmosphere. This is what it says. After a marathon sitting over four hours, the tribunal announced that O'Day had been suspended for 10 weeks. Yeah. Now, eventually the, uh, the legal charges were dropped because the clubs agreed to play a tribute match in the 1973 preseason. Yep. Um, as for O'Day, he said he got given 10 weeks, but he actually played for another eight seasons. Yeah. So, I mean, those, these things are hard to come back by. So it's quite hard to come back from. Mm. Um, but I was quite impressed that he managed to do that and even played against Collingwood at Victoria Park and things like that again. Greening, you mean? No, no. O'Day, who got given 10 weeks. Oh, who got given 10 weeks. Greening did come back a few years later and had, you know, had played a few good games but was never the same. And if you look at some of those stats we were talking about earlier, like he was on fire this season. Yeah. And so, yeah. I, and this is not a story I'd ever heard of. No. The first time I'd heard of it was when we, when we did the Collingwood walking tour with Gav. That's right, yes. And he talked about it then. I had not heard of it. No. It's no, a that's huge really story. interesting. Ten, 10 weeks for putting someone in a coma doesn't seem like enough. No. That was probably a huge suspension back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, we th- we've well, sort of gone from... Ridiculous Ridiculous suspensions. suspensions to not a lot to then... Yeah. Yeah. I guess, like, yeah, it wasn't thought about the same way, but you... What would you get these days? Life? I don't reckon you can give, I don't reckon that's a thing that they give is it it might be it might be might 16 weeks or something like it doesn't oh, seem like a lot someone into a coma these days they'd get seasons yeah a year do you think like a, like I don't know I the thing is like they've got all those different things yeah. like intentional hair you know yeah so you it'd be very interesting to see how that went mm. but all right well let's yeah, let's, let's very move. interesting yeah Sorry, yeah crazy um, so, yeah, obviously this news was in the paper for weeks, as you said, but didn't distract the Pies. They beat the Demons, then played pinpoint football to shoot holes in North Melbourne's defence, blasted the side of the Hawks and got revenge on Bob Rose and the Bulldogs with a last-quarter burst of five goals, six to the Dogs' no score. In this game, at the 11-minute mark of the third quarter, Peter McKenna kicked his 100th goal for the season, following which his opponent, Gary Merrington, of the Dogs, shook his hands in congratulations. Oh. There's a nice photo of that. Yeah, nice. They dropped a game against Geelong, which they were leading by 49 points at half time, and then Peter McKenna put on a clinic against the Swans, kicking 11 goals three in a 77-point thrashing that guaranteed them a top three finish and a double chance. They lost to the Bombers in the final round, so their form was wavering a bit, and Peter McKenna kicked eight goals but also injured his thigh, his thigh, and was out for the finals. Oh, Oh, that hurts. Mm. Wow. Oh, gosh. So, uh, 
The lead goal kicker for Collingwood this year was Finn McKenna, Finn McKenna. and, and McKenna. the, and the uh, league with 130 goals. Uh, and the Copeland Trophy in 1972 went to Len Thompson for the third time. Yes. That does make sense. Yes, it certainly does. Uh, which takes us into second spot with the double chance. Well, actually, is that right? Yeah. With the double chance? Yeah. Top three get a double chance. Top, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's not just the top two anymore. Uh, is the Tigers with 18 wins, four losses and 117.7%. Coached by Tommy Hafey again and captained by Royce Hart. Yeah, new captain. All right, debutants include Marty McMillan, Brian Wood and Graham Gaunt. The year started with a four-point win over the Magpies, although the Tigers had held the Pies at bay for most of the game. They did allow them back in the last quarter, held on to win by four. Ex-Blues player Ricky McLean with four goals in his, day, in his Richmond debut. Round two, their stars in Francis Burke, KB, Ian Stewart, Royce... Hart and Roger Dean combined for an easy 86-point drubbing of the Cats at Cardinia Park, and they dropped the game to the Bombers. In round four against the Blues, Bruce Duell did a good job of quelling Royce Hart for most of the game, but when he got loose in the last quarter, he was everywhere. And when the Blues took the lead, it was Hart who turned the tide back in the Tigers' favour. Sheedy was the other player who did as he pleased and turned back many a Carlton attack. Tigers by five points. A week later, it's the same margin, although the Demons had outplayed the Tigers for three quarters. The last quarter, though, was all yellow and black. Kevin Bartlett had been held well in the first three quarters, but came out like a man possessed and racked up 15. Um, then they got smashed by the Saints, which best be forgotten. They bounced back against the Hawks at Waverley, led by Neil Balm. Tigers by seven. Then they beat the Lions by a point the following week, and then the Dogs by three goals. At this stage, the Tigers were not putting teams away. They were kind of doing what they needed to be, do to win games. But nothing impressive. Yep. Against the Swans, they absolutely did put them away. Their defence holding them to two goals for the match. Yeah, wow. In this game, KB was his cliched best with 16 kicks, one goal, no handballs. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they lost two on the trot, including a hammering by the Cats, who were down near the bottom of the ladder, which meant they were hammered by the press. Mm-hmm. Like to get stuck into Richmond, don't they? For round 14, their match against the Blues, they regained the services of former player Wayne Walsh, who had been traded from the Swans. We talked about this last week. Oh, yes, yep. So he'd played the first eight games for the Swans, playing in just one one win. He'd played 13 games for the Tigers, losing just once. Um, but ironically, in this game, it was captain coach of Carlton, John Nichols, who indirectly contributed to his team's loss. Oh. Nichols settled an old score with Richmond's Brian the Whale Roberts at the first bounce, and when Roberts didn't return, Craig McCullough seized the opportunity to completely dominate the ruck contests. Ian Stewart's classy game in the centre was a relief for Richmond, and Ricky McLean, who just a short time ago had swapped from the Blues, um, managed five goals. The Tigers by 31. This set up a good string of wins over Essendon, Melbourne and St Kilda, uh, with the Saints game being a 161-point turnaround from their match earlier in the season. Wow. Tigers winning by 89, Ricky McLean kicking eight, and Royce Hart dominating. Yeah. Huge. Wins over North, an 11-point win, all but ending Hawthorne's season, and easy wins over Fitzroy saw them in a battle with Carlton for top spot. They were lucky to beat the Doggies after a 10-goal to three opening quarter. The Doggies clawed their way back. The Tigers were lucky to hold on to win by two points. KB the star here with 24 disposals, seven goals, three one amble. <laughs> With their final round destruction of South Melbourne, Royce Hart kicked seven, while Barm and McLean added four each. The win had them primed for finals. There you go. It goes to show like those great teams win even when they aren't looking great, right? It's one of those. It's one of those classic cliches. Yeah, and you don't want to start the season on fire. You want to build up to it. Absolutely. 
You don't win a premiership in June, no. as they say. No. Uh, so, uh, the lead goal kicker for Richmond this year was Neil Baum with 55. Ricky McLean also had 55. Royce Hart just behind them with 52. And our man, the new captain, also took out his second Jack Dyer medal there. Uh, so, the captaincy really suited Royce Hart. Yeah. Uh, so taking us to the very top of the ladder now. Top. Those old Navy Blues with 18 wins, one draw, three losses and 134.3%. Not bad at all from the team captain coached by John Nichols. Yep, and some debutants include David Dixon, Eric Pascoe, Greg Kennedy and by the name of Rod Austin. Yes, Curly. Uh, due to nickname Curly due to his mob of wavy black hair. Uh, Rod Austin was a player with a distinctive, unorthodox kicking style. He had great athleticism, uh, intelligence and courage. And that enabled him to be used in a variety of roles in defence, whether as a second fullback or on Rovers resting in the full So, yeah, very handy player to have. Yes, and I think he later on went on to coach Fitzroy as well. Ah, I remember having his football card. Really? Curly? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, Round one was Carlton's... 1400th match wow yeah um Bendigo VFL match I should say yes since 1897 if you had VFA matches they've had much more than that so surely there's a few teams who are coming up to that then yeah most of the uh, the original eight would be right there yeah because St Kilda maybe not so much as because of the finals like a finals yeah yeah most of them should be around that. Should point. be around that. Point Collingwood probably already got there because of the amount of finals they played. Amount of finals they played exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, Bendigo League recruit Greg Kennedy made his much anticipated debut, and mercurial match winner Brent Crosswell kicked four goals as the Navy Blues kicked off their season in style with a narrow home ground win over a spirited Fitzroy by eleven. Round two, the Blues looked the better side for most of the game against the Magpies, um, but with top forward. Pin McKenna, well held by Jeff Southby. The Magpies finished kicking their lowest score in the last eight matches, but the game resulted in a draw. I might do that again. That sounded crap. <laughs> Go for it. Round two, the Blues looked the better side for most of the game against the Magpies, but appeared to run out of condition at the vital part of the game. With top forward Peter McKenna, well held by Carlton's Jeff Southby, the Magpies finished up kicking their lowest score in the past eight years. The Magpies finished up kicking their la- The Magpies finished up kicking their lowest score in the past eight games against the Blues. This game ended in a draw. In round three, South fought out a poor spectacle at Albert Park Oval, Lakeside Oval, I should have written, with great tenacity. <laughs> in Jez's 100th game, Carlton had returned to form by three big players in Robert Walls, David Mackay, and John Nichols, helping them get an easy win over South Melbourne. In round four, they lost to the Tigers. Brent Crosswell was reported on two charges and subsequently suspended for four matches. The club appealed this decision and he was able to play round five against the Bombers in which he was one of the best on ground, helping the Blues to a 15-point win. But pending another hearing, Crosswell's appeal was dismissed and he was out of the team from round six, which is weird. I I don't remember that ever happening. No. He's suspended, then got off, but then they've challenged again. Yeah, I thought, yeah. That was the end of it, right? Well, no, the AFL can do what they want. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, it didn't matter as Carlton trounced the Cats in the home game at Princess Park, setting up a win in a dominant first quarter. Blues were never headed. Greg Kennedy was seven. Sid Jackson added four. 
but John John Nichols was criticised in this match for not really doing much. Oh. But against the Demons, he had a big week, oh, good. dominating glad. in the ruck in an easy win to silence his critics. <laughs> the Blues you end- always love that when someone comes out and has a go at a player on the t- side you're about to play <laughs> or has a go at that side. You're like, why? Yeah. Why this week? Yeah. The Blues then celebrated Adrian Gallagher's 150th game in style with the Important win over St Kilda on their home turf of Moorabbin. Gallagher became one of the youngest Blues to ever reach the 150-game mark. As Carlton recovered from a tardy start to hit the front just prior to half-time, the strength and skill of Carlton proved too much for St Kilda, who then controlled the second half to run out 27-point winners. They had an effortless win over the Ruse, fell three points short against reigning Premier's Hawthorne. In round 11, a sluggish Carlton team narrowly avoided defeat by Footscray in this dull affair at the Western Oval, a game Brent Crosswell described as the worst game he'd ever been involved in. The Blues won by a goal. <laughs> in round 12, they were never headed by a disappointing Lions team in Robert Wall's 100th game. Yeah. In round 13, uh, which proved very unlucky for Collingwood, who travelled to Princess Park for this match, um, they were beaten by a slick Carlton combination. The Magpies led by four goals early in the third term, but a brilliant burst by Carlton Rover Trevor Keogh, who kicked three goals in eight minutes, sparked a Blues revival. And after that, a solid Carlton defence held Collingwood at bay for a confidence-boosting victory. The Tigers then beat them before they embarked on an eight-game winning run, starting with a resounding 65-point win over South, a sensational win over Essendon, which saw in the second quarter Alex Jezelenko kick six goals in 11 minutes. And in this game, Carlton also kicked 12 goals straight in that second quarter. Six goals in 11 minutes. One player. Bailey Fritch could do that. Yeah, I think he has. Yeah. No. <laughs> he kicked four in like a minute and a half against Adelaide, didn't he? Yeah. Um, they had an easy win over the Cats, which was overshadowed by an incident between teammates Brent Crosswell and Vin Waite. It happened after Brent Crosswell let Doug Waite in for a goal. Teammate Vin Waite came in to remonstrate with Tiger Crosswell, who swung an arm at Waite. Waite then pushed Crosswell in the chest and Crosswell fell. Crosswell jumped to his feet and seemed to threaten Waite, who was benched at three-quarter... Crosswell was benched at three-quarter time and left Cardinia Park before the game even ended. Wow. He has a fiery temper. Yeah. That's massive. They had a a lackadaisical win over the Demons. Then round 19, they trailed the Saints by 27 points at three-quarter time, but they slammed on 8-5 in the last quarter to win comfortably. Bruce Dool best on ground with 26 disposals. Round 20 was an easy 89-point win over the Ruse. Greg Kennedy with eight... And then a week later, Kennedy kicked 12 goals as the Blues severely dented the Hawks' hopes of back-to-back flags. Only the great Horry Clover has done better for Carlton with 13 majors against St Kilda way back in 1921. Yeah, long time ago. Uh, in round 22 against Footscray and in front of Robert Menzies, who drove his car into the ground. Good. You seen that famous photo? Uh, yes, yeah. his car yeah, gets yeah. driven up, he's sitting on a, a little platform. Carlton staged another last quarter revival to edge out a spirited Bulldogs by three points at three-quarter time. While Greg Kennedy added another five goals, Brent Crosswell injured himself uh, battling osteomyelitis and would miss the whole final series. Yeah. So a great, great year from the, from the Blues this, yeah, this year. Just a lot of huge wins, yep. which obviously you can tell from their 134%. Yes. Uh, so leading goal kicker was Greg Kennedy with 76. Handy, Robert, handy recruit. Yes, very. Robert Walls second on that list with 47. And the John Nichols medal in 72 went to Jeff, Jeff Southby for the second time in as many years. Yeah. So not a bad little run from him. No. All right. Um, just before we get to the Brownlow down low, Coles goals winner. Yes, okay. Uh, it's got to be uh, Carlton. Richmond, 358. Really? Yeah. Wow. So a couple of massive wins for, for the Tigers. Yeah. Um, so let's head now to Molson here about the winner of the Brownlow in 1972. 
The brown low down low with moss. Collingwood's big Len Thompson won the brown low this season. He was 199 centimetres tall and 102 kilograms heavy. He said he'd had a pretty rough 1971 and a few years prior, largely due to a pay dispute that was happening between him and Tuddy Des Tuddenham. He said he'd been sulking rather than playing any form of good footy. When asked what happened at the end of 1971, he said the following. I was at an end of season function at the club and I was introduced to a guy called John Tolman. I didn't know him that well other than that I was aware he was a mate of Tuddy's and he trained professional runners. Anyway, I was at the bar getting a few drinks and he, Tolman, came up to me and said, you're a weak so-and-so. He made it clear that I'd be finished in two years unless I got myself fit. Then he just wandered off. My first reaction was, stuff you. But as he headed away, I thought I might as well have a bit more of a chat to him. So I went over and we started talking for a while about how he was able to get athletes and footballers fit. He said it was entirely up to me, but if I turned up at Caulfield Racecourse on October 18, I could join in. The rules were pretty simple. It was four days a week for the first three weeks and then seven days a week up to Christmas. If you missed one of those days without a valid excuse, then you were out. Simple as that. So Len was extraordinarily fit in the 1972 season and ended with an easy 25 Brownlow votes. Len won the Brownlow medal on the very last vote of the count. He and Greg Wells were both sitting on 22 and when they read out the last vote, it was for him. In those days, they read the votes out um, one, two, three. Melbourne's Greg Wells finished with 22 votes and then equal on 18 votes were Essendon's John Willie Williams and Melbourne's Gary Hardman. All right, Charlie, that gets us two finals. It certainly does. A final does. five. A final five. So, the structure. Yeah, let's talk this through. So, okay. you finish first, you get a week off. Yep. Second play third with a double chance. And fourth play fifth. Fourth play fifth as in, an elimination. in elimination. The winner yep. of fourth versus fifth plays a loser of two versus three. And the winner of two versus three plays one. Yep. And the winner of that game then goes to the grand final. And then the winner of the last one plays the loser of the second one. Yes. And then the winner of that goes to the grand final. Yes. So it's kind of a leapfrogging affair. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Top three, you get a double chance. That's yep. all you need to know. It's an interesting system. You're very, very unlikely to get to a grand final without a week off then, aren't you? If you finish it, fifth or sixth, uh, fourth or fifth, you will. That's... Yeah, but I like it's not. That's not no, likely. No, if you top, top three, you, you're going to get a week off. You're going to get a week off, probably. Well, they're not playing all the finals every single weekend, though. So the first, the qualifying and elimination final are played on the same day now. Ah, yes. Because they have Waverley. They've got two grounds. That's right. Yes. That's right. And they want to make use of them. Yep. So well, let's talk this. Let's talk it through. So our first game is the elimination final between fourth and fifth St Kilda and Essendon at Waverley at In front of the Park. Crowd. Fifty-two and a half thousand. It's one of our lower. Uh, if we, it's look a hard at, hard ground to get to. If we look at the different crowds as we go through the different grounds. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and uh, yes, well, interesting look, game. Saints started well. Their finals experience was telling and holding the Bombers goalless in the third quarter. 
A best-on-ground performance by John Stevens with 21 disposals and four goals helped the Saints to an easy 53-point win. He would be the first of five consecutive... Oh, we don't need to talk about that. Five consecutive losses by the Bombers in finals. Um, yeah, Bombers really didn't show much here. The final score being what, Charlie? 18-16, 124 to 10-11-71. Yeah, not much to really... No, and look, probably the way... It, you would have expected that game to go. Maybe not that quite quite that larger yeah. scoreline, but you know, an yeah. up and coming Bombers team against a hard a final strong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So qualifying final on that same day at the G, ninety one thousand nine hundred people. It's a big difference. Yeah, huge. Uh, with Richmond and Collingwood, and jeez, what a shootout! Yeah, in a high scoring uh, contest, it was the Tigers who prevailed by forty four points. With inspirational captain and champion centre-half forward Royce Hart producing a superb six-goal performance. Captain Royce Hart commentating af- com- commenting. commenting after the game. Uh, there were two things I really liked about our win on Saturday. It was a really good team effort and 22 out of our 25 goals were scored by the six forwards. Yeah. That's where we are lucky. We have six forwards who can kick and do kick goals. Yeah, that's great. Francis Burke, best on ground. That's what you want. So that final scoreline being Richmond 25-14-164 to Collingwood 18-12-120. Which now means Collingwood will play St Kilda and Richmond play Carlton. Two weeks. The next week. Yeah, the next week. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so there's, there's now two two games the next weekend as well. Yeah. So very interesting there. We'd, Richmond have a, a pretty strong... Defence and Collingwood still managed to score a lot of points against them. So, yeah. So let's talk about the, the Collingwood and St Kilda semi-final first. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the first one I've got yep. here. So the next the next week on the 16th of September, we had Collingwood and St Kilda at the MCG. Meeting for the first time since the Greening incident as well. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. In front of 91,857 people. So a really fiery game was expected because of that incident, but yeah. nothing really eventuated. Okay. Um, Collingwood had the wind in the first quarter and were really unable to make use of it, kicking two goals seven. Um, after the Saints threw themselves, blew a few chances in the first, Alan Jeans must have given them a blasting. They came out and used amazing teamwork, pace and greater skill to overwhelm the Magpies. Um, so they led at halftime, 7-6 to 3-10. Collingwood still wasting kicks at the goals. The game deteriorated after halftime, but with Carl Ditterich in full flight, Captain Ross Smith leading the way, and Kevin Neal pulling in 10 marks, the Saints were never really threatened. A three-goal victory saw the Saints advance to the preliminary final. Yes, uh, okay. definitely missing Peter McKenna, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Kicking 8-goal like, 17. Yeah, it should have been 16-17 with McKenna there. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Collingwood eliminated. Collingwood eliminated. St Kilda are through. Yep, this is to yeah, a prelim. Yeah, to a prelim. Yes, gosh, it's confusing even just looking at it. So on that same day, the game at Waverley Park was in front of fifty-four thousand three hundred people between Carlton and Richmond. So in a dour, low-scoring first half, Richmond had only managed one goal to half-time. And when their champion sentiment, Ian Stewart, didn't appear for the third quarter, Carlton's confidence was given a real boost. Yeah, it would have been. Stewart's replacement, Marty McMillan, proved the real surprise packet. His pace and creativity lifted Richmond, and they came roaring back into into the match to lead by six points, entering time on in the last quarter. Barry Armstrong's goal for Carlton then levelled the scores. And then in a dire last few seconds, um, Alex Jeselenko took a mark as the siren went about 70 metres out, and I've seen footage of this. He doesn't waste any time. He goes back and tries to kick a, a massive torp, and it falls short, leaving the scores locked at eight goals, 13-61 each. 
Yeah. Following this siren, angry fans invaded Waverley Park and field umpire Ian Coates was assaulted. Because it was a draw. Yep. I mean, they probably couldn't reach him with stones, so they had to go and get him. Yeah, yeah of course. It's a draw. Which means it's a draw. It's a draw. We go back the week after. Yeah, so that means St Kilda get a week off. Yeah. So they're happy. Yeah, absolutely. So Carlton Richmond again. Uh, this time, though, with the MCG. Obviously the first choice of ground. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, in front of 92,670 people and a very different game this time around. Well, yeah, Richmond knew that their slow start had cost them the week before and were switched on from the first bounce. Uh, pretty even first quarter, it was 2-2 to 2-5 Richmond's way, but then their five goals to two in the second gave them a handy lead and they steadily increased that throughout the match to run out 41-point winners. Former Blue Ricky McLean kicked five goals to for Richmond and the Tigers firmed into strong premiership favouritism after looming as a constant threat all season. So because of that draw, St Kilda were actually quite happy and quite confident yeah, coming into coming this next into game because they had a lot of injuries and things and thought, okay, we can, we can rest, rest and yeah, yeah. have a go. So you should say there that, that final score being uh, Carlton 9-15-69, nowhere good enough for Richmond's 15-20-110. Taking us to the prelim again the week later at the G, uh, between Carlton and St Kilda in front of 96,272 people. Uh, now, I believe coming into this game, yes. St Kilda, even though they had the week off, had a few players, had a virus, had a few players on injury clouds and weren't at their best. I think Russell Holmesby says this is the team, this is one of the best teams St Kilda had and they were just hitting their straps as all this sort of stuff happened and, uh. and was their undoing. Uh, St Kilda controlled the game in the first half but failed to capitalise on the scoreboard with 8-12 at the break to the Blues 7-7. And the Blues slowly wore them down with Rover Barry Armstrong and half-forward Sid Jackson instrumental in getting getting Carlton back into the game. Together with Alex Jeselenko, seven goals at full, full forward. The margin was just four points at the time on in the final quarter, but late majors to Greg Kennedy and Jeselenko gave the Blues a 16-point win. Yes. Setting up their... Third match with Richmond in four weeks. Yeah, massive. So, yes, Carlton finishing up there, 16-13-109. Too good for St Kilda's 13-15-93. Taking us to that grand final at the G in front of 112,393 people. Yes, well, let's... uh Let's call our old friend John Nichols. We tend, tend to talk to him every second year. Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? Yep, 68, 70, now 72. Perfect. So let's, uh, let's boot that up. Uh, John, welcome back, mate. It seems, as we just mentioned, like we're chatting to you every second year at the moment. Thanks, lads. Uh, although I'd prefer to chat every year because that would obviously mean that we've won another flag. Um, but, mate, four, four grand finals in five years for three premierships is pretty amazing. Yeah, look, I'm certainly not complaining, uh, especially not after today. It was another wonderful effort from this group. Now, you boys looked a little bit different this year to last time we spoke. Obviously, uh, Barras is gone, uh, but uh, also Serge and Ian Collins as well. Uh, mate, did this, do you reckon this made it easier for you to stamp your own imprint on this team? In some ways, yes. Uh, not much changed. Although one thought that was always in the back of my mind was not overtraining them. Uh, we went hard on Tuesdays, but Thursdays really tried to limit things. Now, the form of your team early on was a bit inconsistent, obviously taking some time to adapt to your coaching style. However, your form was also called into question. How did that affect you personally? 
you, you guys know that that outside bladder it doesn't affect me. Um, I know what role I play in this team, and uh, more importantly than that, I, I know that the confidence that everyone has in the team for me to perform that role is always going to be there. Mate, and uh, you've got, had a few run-ins with the umpires this year as well. I'd rather not comment on that today. Oh, yeah, so, sorry, certainly. Um, so the win seemed to mount up for you, but it seemed like that win over Essendon in Round 16 was really when the team started to make a push for the deep for a deeper run into September. You might be right, although I felt Essendon's comeback in that game uh, took the icing off what was a really good win for us. Um, I was particularly pleased about our good forward play in the second quarter, which was probably our best for the season. I think we kicked 12 goals, um, but there were still concerns uh, such as our lapse in concentration in the third uh, and fourth quarters, um, which was a bit annoying, to be truthful, a bit worrying. And what about that incident between Brent Crosswell and Vin Waite uh, a couple of weeks later? You guys, you appeared to bench him following that remonstration, and obviously you didn't play today. Have you guys had a falling out? Now you guys know Crosswell's injured, and uh, he'd been worried by a knee for some time, uh, but incidents like the one between Tiger and, and Vin, they happen all the time. Players are always going to go crook at each other for not minding their men, and as you see from today's result, um, it had no effect on us whatsoever. Uh, then there was that Sterling win over St Kilda coming from, I think it was five goals down in the last quarter. That was very satisfying. Um, at that stage of the season, you know, we'd been fading badly, and our finishing effort against the Saints um, certainly proved that we were fit. Um, some of our senior players have been out of form a little bit lately, but really lifted their game in that final term and um, I suppose look as pleasing as that is let's let's talk about the finals boys that's what we're here for yeah all right so uh, the Blues earned top spot on the ladder and a week off uh, awaiting the winner of the Richmond Collingwood game how did you approach this new final system look exactly the same way as in previous years you know we wanted to win you probably weren't expecting to play four straight games no so looking back on that now I'm glad that we had the week off in the first week of finals. I tell you what, because uh, we are absolutely buggered now. Yeah, that first match against the Tigers was an absolute classic. That low-scoring encounter, which really showcased uh, your strong defence. You held the Tigers to 1-8 for the first half of the game. Yeah, look, it was a really hard-fought finals-type game, that one, and I thought we had their measure. Um, if not for uh, bloody Marty McMillan coming on for Ian Stewart and kicking those goals, we, we might have won. You didn't give up, and that must have been the pleasing thing. Even Jezza thought there was a chance after the siren. Yeah, even in defeat and the, and the nature of the defeat, um, you know, we, we tried to take the positives out of that game. But then to come up against them the following week and get blown away, it must have been a bit demoralising. Yeah, well, you know you've had a bad day when uh, like Kevin Sheedy starts talking shit to you during the game, i tell you what. So tell us how you pulled the team together after the draw and then subsequent loss to Richmond. Well, we, we got everyone together out of Princess Park and we were pretty flat, you know, to be honest. And we did a few laps, we played a bit of soccer just to loosen up and everyone was so down because we'd been, we'd just been hammered. But I made sure to let the boys know that I was quite confident we could beat the Tigers. And they might have gotten the better of us yesterday, um, but we can absolutely get them in the grand final. You know, they're not, they're not unbeatable, um, and we are absolutely capable of, uh, of getting a win against them. Mate, but he did bounce back against St Kilda, and that hard-grinding win uh, must have pleased you. 
I was happy with our performance, um, but there was still room for improvement, I think. You know, we had nine players on our side who were playing in a final series for the first time. Um, and I think that, you know, a few of them were probably finding it a little bit difficult to adjust to that different style of play, that finals style of play. Um, you know, it can hit you between the eyes. And this adjustment must have come in stages. You know, I was certainly hoping that that St Kilda game would be the first step, you know, towards being able to perform on grand final day, to be ready for grand final day. And, and in the end, um, I'm sitting here pleased to say that it was. Uh, so, John, you've played in plenty of finals and grand finals now. This was your first as a coach. Did that change the way you prepared? This was definitely a new challenge. Uh, the team was operating in much the same way as we had for the last few years. All the guys know their role, the systems are the same, the voice all the boys are hearing is just a different one now coming from me. But as the coach, you know, yes, it is different you know, to when you're a player, having to think about the, the tactical side of things and who to move. Um, it was certainly a new challenge, as I said, and um, it definitely leaves you with more on your mind, I suppose, as the game is unfolding more than just your performance, but um, sort of the performance of everyone on the field, not just in navy blue jumpers. And you left out new recruit Greg Kennedy, who has led your goal kicking this season. Um, that seems like quite a strange decision. Um, surely he earned a match today. Being blunt, you know, Greg's form just hadn't been up to scratch. It's really that simple. He kicked one goal last week and we knew that to beat Richmond we needed goals. And probably lots of them. Um, in the finals playing full forward you know, can be a nightmare and um, ultimately we decided that Alex was the one who was best placed and would be able to cope with it the best. Mate, you're talking of course about uh, Jezza there, Alex Jezalenko, but the other positional change you made was moving yourself to the forward pocket and letting Percy Jones take the lead in the ruck. We needed to change things up. And I didn't consider it a gamble to put myself into the forward pocket. Um, I had a lot of confidence in Purse. I was sure that the extra responsibility of carrying the ruck would worry McKellar. And uh, I think that's what happened in the end. Well, it seemed to confuse them, didn't it? Indeed, indeed. We attacked them at their A game. Jones, Trojan Horse, cut off their attacking ram of McKellar you know, at the hit out. Uh, Trevor Keogh snap sheet in the head. Uh, and in the end, kick three on him in the first quarter to really open things up and, and get the game going exactly how we would have wanted it to. Were those memories of Sheedy coming in the semi coming back, were they? You missed him by a whisker during one contest. <laughs> yeah, Sheedy turned the, the white shade of grey. Uh, he got moved to half forward after half time, and uh, that was a really big win for us. And you yourself kicked three goals in the opening quarter too. Yeah, it was a great start by everyone. You know, not, not just uh, Trevor and myself, but really the whole team started exactly the way you want to start a big game. Now, you led by three goals at quarter time, but the goals just kept flowing in the second. Purse was just dominating in the ruck uh, and winning that contest like we knew that he would. That allowed, you know, Keogh and Gags to be the beneficiaries. I'll tell you what, uh, Wolsey absolutely destroyed Rex Hunt at centre-half four. Just another win for us on a, on a really big day. It was reminiscent of that Bombers game earlier in the season. Yeah, I suppose it was. You know, ten goals in any quarter is great, but to do it in a grand final was it's an understatement, but it was incredibly pleasing. There were a few low points, though. Vin Waite and David Mackay were hurt. Yeah, well, Vin did his ankle, um, and Swan, uh, Neil Barnes to blame for that. You know, he he um, broke his bloody jaw you know, in an off-the-ball incident. 
um, which I'm sure you can tell we're not too happy about. So going in at half-time with a score of 18 goals, 6 on the board, you must have been pretty content. Well, in the grand final, I find you, you can't be content until the final siren goes. Uh, just look at what we did to Collingwood two years ago. Uh, there were seven players left from our 1969 playoff with the Tigers, and you know on that day they overran us. Um, so when we came in at halftime in front, we just kept yelling, "Remember 69, remember 69." You know it was about making sure that um, we used the disappointment of that day to to ensure it didn't happen again. Now. <laughs> The Tigers tried hard to overcome that deficit in that important third quarter, but every time they did, you guys just seemed to have an answer straight back at them. We knew they'd come at us, um, and with such great players like Ian Stewart coming on to give them a spark, um, you know, we knew they'd throw everything at us. They'd give it a really good shake. Now, Sid Jackson kicked your side's 24th goal of the game in the third quarter, and I'm not sure you realised it then, but that broke the highest ever score in a grand final. Yeah, I knew we'd achieved it at some stage. Uh, who held it before us? Uh, I, I believe it was Essendon for their 1946 victory. <laughs> Even better. Now, another highlight of the third quarter was the mark taken by David Mackay. What a brave man he is. Uh, the doctors told him his jaw was probably broken at half-time, but because Wade had done his ankle, um, he would have to stay on, and, and he was absolutely prepared to. What a credit to him, um, and I'm not sure we'd be here without those efforts, without his bravery. Did you see his mark? I did. Uh, the ball was down at the city end of the ground, and he was going for a mark against Royce Hart, and I think it was Rex Hunt. Uh, he lifted his leg up uh, to launch for the mark, and it looked like Royce Hart just got under him, and he shot straight up into the air. Uh, it was absolutely spectacular from ground level, uh, but I guess Betty just kept on thinking about that poor old jaw of his. You led by an amazing 57 points at three-quarter time. Could you celebrate and relax then? Yeah, look, no team can overcome a score like that in just one quarter, so we did relax a little bit. I suppose, as you saw in the last quarter, um, they were able to pull back a few meaningless you know, consolation-type goals. Um, you took it upon yourself to swap into the ruck finally and give Jones a rest? Yeah, he'd been massive for us all day. I just wanted to give him a rest and do what I could um, from there. He'd set the game up beautifully for us and he'd, he'd earn a bit of a spell. Well, six goals from a Ruckman is a pretty huge contribution in a grand final. I'm pretty sure it's the most I've ever kicked in a game, and um, what a time to do it, I suppose. The final scoreboard showed the Tigers did indeed make a comeback, but like you said, 57 points was a margin too big. When the final siren rang, you had won by 27 points. Yeah, looking at the scoreboard, it was incredible. Um, it was just an avalanche of goals from both teams. So tell us, mate, how does Ticker today compare to 68 and to 70? I think that today, you know, having just experienced it, would be the most satisfying experience um, I've had in football. You just had such confidence in your own team today, didn't you? I knew we were the best side, and we would prove that if our forward line came together and clicked. Um, I knew too that if that would happen, the pressure would all be on Richmond, and, and they don't like that. Uh, they play on confidence and uh, they can become overconfident and cocky. I expected that they would fall away if we just kept attacking them and, and particularly if we kept getting reward on the scoreboard. And how is David Mackay now? Yeah, he left, uh, headed to the hospital to fix up that jaw of his. I hope the VFL Tribunal uh, throws the book at Neil Barn for that one. Can you give us the best player today, Big Nick? When a team kicks 28 uh, goals in a match, uh, the whole whole bloody team is best on the ground. 
Um, but if you really want some names, um, how about Percy Jones, Barry Armstrong, Robert Walls, uh, and Adrian Gallagher, um, all superb. Yeah, we'll take them. Uh, thanks. And we hear this isn't the end of the season for you just yet. Well, next we've got the football championships in Adelaide against the best teams from the other states. And if that's not enough, um, we also have a world tour uh, coming up, um, taking on an all-star team over in Europe. Wow, that's still a lot of football to come. Um, John Nichols, thanks for talking to us again. Maybe in another two seasons' time we might chat to you again. We'll see, fellas. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Charlie, can you give us that score? That is just ridiculous. Yeah, outrageous, right? So the final score was uh, Carlton 28-9-177 to Richmond 22-18-150. So we talked about Richmond breaking Essendon's grand final record. Richmond broke it too. Richmond equaled it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely insane. Goal kickers, we've got Jezza with seven, Walls with six, Nichols with six, Keogh with three, Jackson with two, Gallagher, Hall, Dixon and Chandler with one. For Richmond, Balm with five, Richardson with three, Barry Richardson. Uh, Sheedy with three, Cumming and Royce Hart with two, McMillan with two, and Rex Hart, Ricky McLean, Kevin Morris, Paul Sproul and Ian Stewart with one. It's almost like, who didn't kick a goal? Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. Best for the Tigers were Robbie Walls, John Nichols, Duel, Armstrong, Southby, Jezza, Percy Jones, Trevor Keogh, Gallagher, Dixon, Hurst. And there's that famous photo you might have seen of Robert Walls and Bruce Duel in a bath with the Premiership Cup. Yeah, yes. Celebrating, yeah. That's after this game. I mean, it's pretty impressive from Richmond there. And I know we mentioned it, like coming back from ten, more than 10 goals or ten, about 10 goals down, nine goals down at three quarter time. Yeah. To still put on a bit of a, you know, put up a bit of a challenge, yeah, and kick seven themselves to Carlton's three, like you, we talk about junk time goals. That's not junk yeah. time. That's that's coming. That's coming back. And you know, it would have been a bit scary there for a minute if they weren't quite so inaccurate in front of goal. It could have been a very close, very high scoring affair. Well, it was very high scoring. Uh, it was the he, highest yeah. aggregate game of any VFL match ever. So fifty goals, twenty-seven, three hundred and twenty-seven was a new record. For scoring so a game. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Highest, before that was 48, 25, 313, which had stood since 1942. This record would last till 1978. Yeah, wow. Yep. Huge. Also, here's a fact I found amazing. First time that Carlton's beaten the Tigers in a final since 1920. So 52 years since oh, they've beaten them in a final. 11 finals they played in that time, and, the, and Richmond's won every single one. Every single one. Yeah. Well, they won the one that mattered. They did. Well, one of the ones that mattered, I guess. Um, so some other results quickly. We've got Hawthorne defeating Melbourne by four points in the reserves. We've got Hawthorne also defeating North Melbourne by three points in the under-19s. Richmond taking home the McClellan Trophy. Really? We, we, yep. I would have thought it would have been Hawthorne. Yeah. Well, off that, yeah. Uh, we've also got a champ- new format for the Championship of Australia, the 16th edition of it, actually. The ANFC organised event uh, has brought in teams from VFL, Sandfall, Waffle and Tasmania. So they've got the champions from all playing a little round robin. So we've got nice. the Blues, we've got North Adelaide Roosters, East Perth Royals and the City South Redlegs from Tassie. It does make sense that the champion of the colony isn't just between Victoria and South Australia. Yes, yeah. it is. So Carlton... So I'll go through this quickly. Carlton beat East Perth comfortably and North Adelaide beat City South. And then there was a third place playoff with East Perth beating City South by seven points. The grand final was North Adelaide versus Carlton in a very fiery match. 
North Adelaide winning that game by a solitary point. Ooh. I think Carlton the first team to lose that for a long time. VFL kind of had a monopoly yeah. on the championship of Australia for a long time. Yeah, since the since like since, the I think last Port Adelaide yeah. in like nineteen eleven might have been the last team to do it. Yeah. Um, so here's some retirees for us oh, as well. Always a sad time. We've got two premiership hawks, Bob Kenny, 132 games, 195 goals. Ken Beck, 143 games, 23 goals. Ken Greenwood of Carlton and Footscray, 128 games, 26 goals. John Townsend, Melbourne, uh, 153 games, 182 goals, only one, only the one flag. Max Walker as well, off to pursue a career in cricket, 85 games, 23 goals. Dual Premiership player at Essendon, Charlie Payne, 184 games, 128 goals. Bill Ryan of Geelong, 167 games, 220 goals. Terry Waters of Collingwood, 163 games, 181 goals. And here's a great one for you, Ted Potter. 182 games for Collingwood, retires as a holder of the most games played without ever kicking a goal. Really? 182 games, no goals. Zero goals. Yeah. Great defender, obviously. Um, so let's wrap this up really quickly then, Charlie. Shall we? Okay, let's go through this. Uh, the Brownlow medal in 1972 was won by? Len Thompson of Len Collingwood. Len Thompson with 25 votes. Lead goal kicker? Was Pin McKenna. 130, 130 goals. The Wooden Spoon was won by, North taken Melbourne. by North Melbourne, for the last time since last year. Yeah. So they, hadn't, they didn't get one between 1972 and 2021. Yes. 49 years between Wooden Spoons. After That's they, not too after bad. After they won like 11 or something yeah. at, at that time. So yeah. It's, yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, and the premiership team was... Richmond. Uh, Carlton. <laughs> Carlton beating Richmond. <laughs> Um, most points was Jeff Bletham of Essendon with 71 points. Highest score was Collingwood, 28 goals, 16, 184. And mark of the year went to Peter Knights of Hawthorne. Hey, okay. Uh, would you like a premiership list? I certainly would. But before that, who's your rising star for this year, Timothy? Oh, that's a good question. All right, Charlie, my rising star winner for 1972 is David Dixon of Carlton. He had the most outstanding season of all the rookies that we had. Uh, coming second was Rod Osborne of Oborn of Collingwood and Dennis Collins of Footscray. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, premiership list as of 1972. We've got Collingwood with 13, Essendon with 12, Melbourne with 12, Carlton with 11 now. Fitzroy, 8, Richmond, 7, Geelong, 6, South Melbourne, 3, Hawthorne, 2, Footscray, 1, St Kilda, 1. And would you like the honour of choosing the best name? Oh, I certainly would. Okay. It's got to be... Looking at this, I'm going to go through a few a few goodies here. Uh, Ray Brain. It's a goodie. Uh, <coughs> Graham Gaunt, I quite like. But the winner <coughs> has to be Robert Watman. What man? Robert Whatman. I like that. What man? Fantastic. All right, um, two points of note to finish off with. Thank you very much to the Ian Prendergast podcast. They're a bunch of Carlton supporters who talk about Carlton. They've helped us out with a, a few things to do with the, the grand finals when we talked about Carlton. Fantastic. Uh, so if you're, if you're a Carlton fan, check that out. It's the Ian Prendergast. <laughs> like it. I like it a lot. One of the best named podcasts going around. Um, and also, we briefly mentioned the 10-year rule in this, you know, covering 1972. We'll go into it in more detail when we get to 1973 because that's re when it really when came it really into effect. Yes. Yeah. So we'll go into that in a bit more detail. 
That's all from us. Thank you again, 1972. We're into the final five. Timmy, it's all happening. We're feeling very modern these days. And I'm looking forward to continuing to get more and more modern. So until 1973, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.